people have problems. People have major, major, terrible, horrible problems. This week in the news, story after story after story of people with problems came across the television screen, the internet screen, came across the radio. And in thinking about preaching today on Psalm 32, God in his providence wants us this day to know that he is what people need. In Psalm 32, David the great king of Israel, he teaches us a profound lesson about people and about life in this world and even about preparation for the world that is to come. And he does that through a song. You all know that the Psalms are the songbook of Israel. They are wonderful. In the summer of 1997... I studied the Psalms, and I learned that summer, I'll say this, how to be honest with God. Well, we would do well today to listen to this servant of God, David, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us today from the Scriptures. Hear now Psalm 32 in its entirety. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Or as I learned to say, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Our Father and our God, we come now to the preaching of your word, and we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would give us light to see, and O Spirit of the living God, Transform us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are four four things I want you to see today, and I'm going to enumerate them as I go. The first is this. There are two types of people in the world. There are two types of people in the world, the forgiven and the unforgiven, and both need the same message. There are two types of people in the world, the forgiven and the unforgiven, and both need the same message. We see this in verses 1 to 5. Men, women, boys, and girls are lawbreakers. People transgress every single day. The news faithfully reports daily how people break the law. The Bible teaches that all men and women are born into this world as lawbreakers. People with children here know it doesn't take very long for children to learn how to lie, to cheat, to steal. Even this very day, people are deceiving others, cheating others, stealing from others, murdering others, oppressing others, and the list goes on and on. It is a problem of the heart. In such a condition, in such a state, we are unforgiven people. The unforgiven are the lawbreakers who live lives rejecting God's standard of what is right. Transgression, I use the word transgress. Transgression is living and acting in ways that miss the mark of God's standard. It is breaking God's law. Transgression is your problem, and indeed it is my problem. David tells us here, the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, that person is blessed. That person is blessed. That person is happy, if you will. That person has a different perspective on their life and their relationship with God. And I immediately ask, well, why are they happy? They are happy because God has not counted their iniquity against them. God has not counted their guilt against them. 
the forgiven person is happy because her court standing, because his court standing before God is good. It is right. The forgiven person's sin and transgressions no longer stand in the way of right relationship with God. God made humanity to be pure, to be obedient, and to be in loving relationship with God. Why are they happy? They are happy because God has forgiven their sin. God has covered their sin. The phrase there, God has covered their sin, is extremely important. In the book of Leviticus, God gives instructions to Moses to give to Aaron and the priests about the Day of Atonement. God's instructions for, his pre- for Aaron and his priestly descendants are quite incredible. They are fantastically detailed. I won't go through all of them. That would take between now and probably the end of the year. But I want you to hear some of them. I want you to hear some of them. I'm going to read two passages out of this chapter to you. And as you listen, think about God has covered their sin. Leviticus 16, 1 to 5. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. They offered the strange fire to the Lord. They acted not according to God's instructions. Excuse me. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark. Kurt talked some last week about the mercy seat. So that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and Aaron shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. Aaron shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And Aaron shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now listen to Leviticus sixteen twenty nine to 34 as a summary of what God wants Aaron and his descendants, the Levites, the Levitical priests, to do. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves or fast and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you 
to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. That is something we have vastly forgotten. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated, set apart as priest in his father's place, meaning when Aaron dies, shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. I mean, imagine not being able to come in here to worship unless and until an offering had been made outside. And not just an offering for your sin, but for the very place we come to worship itself. What's the point? You want to be a person whose transgression is forgiven. You want your sin covered. You want your sin atoned for. You do not want the Lord to count your iniquity against you. You do not want that. You want to be regarded as blessed by God. You want God to declare you righteous and to see you as righteous every second of every day. Well, David provides a personal example of God's forgiveness in his own life in verses 4 to 5. David says, I was in sin. I broke God's law. I pursued the desires of my heart that were not according to God's instructions. I wanted what I wanted, and I wanted it when I wanted it. Now, I didn't care what God thought while I was pursuing sin. But I never escaped God. I never got away from him. When I did not confess, when I attempted to keep my sin hidden to myself after breaking the law of God, my spiritual life and my physical life, he said it withered away. The text literally reads in verse 4, my life juices were turned into the drought of summer. For four years, I went down to Louisiana with a good friend of mine in the mountains of North Carolina to sell Christmas trees. It was his Christmas tree business. And uh, one of the things he told us, he said, you got to stay hydrated when you're out on uh, the lot. And you all, once I was incredibly thirsty, and someone brought a soda machine on the lot. And this is where I learned 
very, very well that water quenches much better than soda. I was drinking soda after soda. I mean, it gives you lots of energy. But I was, I, I was so parched, I thought my tongue literally had dried up. David says, I'm, it's comical, but David says, I, I was in a bad place. I, I tried to hide my sin, and yet I couldn't. David was in spiritual agony. Notice, David does not blame anyone else. He doesn't point fingers at anyone except himself. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my iniquity, excuse me, and I did not cover my iniquity. David confessed. He confessed to God. It's significant for us to see here that David exposed his transgression willingly to God. David confessed his sin to his covenant Lord. He confessed to the one whose name informs us that total power, complete perfection, purest love, holy wisdom, unstained purity, and the list goes on and on belongs to the master of all reality, of every second, of every moment, of every day. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, the covenant Lord, the God who sets his love upon his people, he forgave David's guilt. He forgave David's sin. He forgave David's idolatrous heart. And may I say it's the heart each and every one of us has. It's the heart everybody outside of these walls has. God wiped the slate clean. David confessed and God forgave. The only Lord God forgave, which leads to the second thing I want you to see today. There is one Lord. There is one Lord who has, he possesses the greatest news for all. There is one Lord who has the greatest news for all. We see this in verses 6 to 9. Do you know that God wants you to pray to him? Do you ever think about that? The Lord wants you to pray. He's eager for you to pray to him. Notice the images painted in verses 6 to 7. Floodwaters cannot reach God. That's good news with all the rain we're having outside. God is a hiding place. God is secure. He's safe. He can be trusted. I mean, think about that. God is a hiding place. Why do people hide? Most of the time they hide out of fear. Some play hide and seek, but that's not what we're doing here. People hide because they want protection. David says, God will protect you. God will save you. He says, God sings and shouts songs of deliverance to you with reassurance and assurance of rescue and safety because your sin has been forgiven. Your Sin has been covered. This is David's testimony. 
his witness of God's salvation. And that word means deliverance. God's salvation, his love, his grace, his mercy that he experienced in his own life. And indeed, God will do the same for you. God will do the same for you. Well, in verse 8, there's a change in the speaker. God begins to speak. God gives words of instruction, and notice what God says. Only God knows the right way to go in life. God's instruction, God's lessons, God's commands are best for you and me. doesn't feel like that, does it? When we want what we shouldn't be wanting. God will point the way. John 14, 6 says, God is the way. God promises his counsel along with his presence. He says, with my eye upon you, God is close. He is near and he's ready. God will be your guide, but you have to trust him. You got to follow him. You have to diligently seek to know him, and that through his word by spirit. Verse 9 says, the horse and the mule are poor role models. To keep them near, you first have to control them with bit and bridle. Two pieces of equipment that can be quite uncomfortable for them, I imagine. I wouldn't want that on my head or in my mouth. But they are necessary in order to keep them near to you. As God's word says, I want to tell you a story, but I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. One summer, it was, yeah, yeah, it was in the summer, I uh, worked at the children's home up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's a horse story. And uh, our, one of our houses traded houses with a house at a uh, children's home. It was a ranch in Florida. And uh, while we were there, uh, I I was with the guys, we had horse lessons of how to ride horses. And they had over 3,000 acres, and uh, they had a part that they called the farm, and uh, uh, Mr. Parker is his name uh, at that time. He he was the man who ran the farm. And he put all the boys on horses, and he put the other staff guy, and he put me on this horse. And he said, now... The horses know if you're afraid. Now, this horse had bit, had bridle. I told someone this story this week. Um, And he also said, well, he said they know if you're afraid. And I thought, well, now, how do they know that? Well, this day, I didn't put my jeans on. I had on shorts. And so you're straddling the horse, and my blood pressure was going, my heart was racing. And that was the day I learned how horses know whether or not you are afraid. <laughs> this horse, it's funny because Mr. Parker, he said, now this is going to be pretty wild. I thought, oh, oh no. So anyway, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting more and more afraid. And I was the leader. The guys looked at me, Mr. Terrence, you know, the strong guy. The horse turned around and looked at me. <laughs> then he looked around and he took off. And I was yanking the bit and the bridle. (laughs) But Mr. Parker had to get the horse under control. Don't be like 
the horse <laughs> or the mule. God's instructions for you are able to be followed when your sin has been dealt with by God. Remember in verse 6 it says, everyone who is godly. It means all who are in right relationship with God. Believers in Christ can reason according to God's instructions because God lives inside of you. Number three, there are two types of people in the world. The wicked and the ones who trust in the Lord. And both need the same message. There are two types of people in the world, the wicked and the ones who trust in the Lord, and both need the same message. Here in verse 10, who are the wicked? The wicked live lives demonstrating a hatred for God's way of living. The wicked do not follow God's instructions. They do not trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32 gives you a very, very definitive picture of the wicked. The sorrows of the wicked must be seen in the light of God's eternal justice. Because there in verse 10, he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Well, that doesn't look like that, does it? It doesn't look like that, except when you get caught and you go on the news. You got to understand this verse in the light of God's eternal justice. If the wicked persist in wicked living, then God will justly judge them as recipients of eternal condemnation. Hell will be the home of the wicked for all of eternity. The scripture is quite clear on that. And here I got to say something else, y'all. It should never surprise us when the wicked live wickedly. It should never surprise us. It shouldn't catch you off guard. There are only two kinds of people in the world. The wicked and those who trust in the Lord. Well, who are the ones who trust in the Lord? I'm going to get to that. But first, I want you to hear this. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. It's a promise. This is a promise and a declaration. A word of great comfort. It's a word for those who trust in the Lord to share with the wicked to share with the wicked who do not know the Lord as steadfast love, as Savior, as King, as covenant Lord. To know the ones who trust in the Lord, you must first be introduced to the Lord Jesus. This leads to number four. Number four, there is one Lord Jesus who people desperately need. Therefore, his message must get out. Those who trust the Lord Jesus Christ, those who trust the Lord, trust Jesus Christ who is the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus came into a world where men and women and boys and girls are enslaved to sin and were by nature children of wrath. You find that in Ephesians 2 verse 3. Jesus came into the world for this reason. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus 
we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus came into the world to deal with our problem. Jesus came into the world to deal with the problems you heard on the news this week. Jesus came into the world to deal with you and to deal with me. Now, as I close, I want you to consider a lesson from the ministry of Jesus found in Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. Hear the Lord's word. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, a lawbreaker. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, weeping. That means crying uncontrollably. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. I mean, I can imagine him, I can hear that. What's she doing in here? Why is she here? She's got problems. She's not supposed to be in my house. And Jesus, the man never said a mumbling word, never said anything out of his mouth. And then Jesus answered him and said this, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Let's... Let's say this, one owed $10 million and the other owed $50. I'll say it that way. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. He, he wiped it clean. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, Her sins, which are many, will be forgiven. Rather, I should let me say that again. I said that wrong. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, 
Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The great message of God's forgiveness of sin that David talks about and that you see here in the lesson in the ministry of Jesus, you all, we are forgiven of our sin through the person and the work of Jesus. That message is the message that you need. Whether you're a believer or not, you need it every single day of your life. You need it. Your family members need it. Your neighbors need it. Your co-workers need it. Everybody in in, in your circle of influence that God has given you, they need that message. But if we are not spending time knowing Jesus, we don't feel strongly to share him with others. May I say this, and you'd be mad at me, it'll be all right. If you do not share Jesus with other people, God will turn the light of atonement off. God wants you to love God and to share Jesus with other people. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. Someone told me this week, the next preacher needs to be an evangelist. I said, no, brother. The church needs to be evangelizing. Amen, brother little. Amen, word of the Lord. Seek to know Jesus, brothers and sisters, and share him with those the Lord has placed in your path. God will do the saving work. You can't do it, I can't do it, but he can. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would bless these brothers and sisters here to know you deeply, to understand the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. One, so that they can forgive others who sinned against them. But also, Lord, that they can share that wonderful news with others. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness. And I pray, Father, that you would use us in your kingdom work because the world needs Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.